Well, I want to say good morning to those who are watching online and those who are at our Mill Creek campus, those who are watching by TV. Um, let's put the scripture into practice today. I got up this morning, I, real early, I was up about 5.15, I sat down and was reading my Bible, and about that time it just started pouring down rain. And the scripture that came to my mind was, in all things give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. And so I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, thank God it's raining. Would you do that? I know you didn't mean it either. Okay, listen. <laughs> Whenever the Olympic Games are held, there are two things you can always count on. You can always count on the thrill of victory, and you can always count on the agony of defeat. Now, I'll be honest with you. I've studied these Olympic uh, uh, participants. I just can't even imagine giving four years of your life basically to training every single day, all day, and then having your chance at Olympic fame by winning a medal and then losing it, not because you weren't good enough, but because you made a wrong turn. Now, I don't know if you saw the, the Winter Olympics this year in Korea, but there was a lady named Teresa Stadlober. She's a cross-country skier from Austria. She was well on her way to a silver medal. As a matter of fact, she was so far ahead, it was a foregone conclusion she would win the silver medal. And yet one mental hiccup cost her a spot on the podium, although it did earn her a place permanently in Olympic history. There were seven kilometers left in this 30-kilometer race. She's well ahead to the silver medal, well on her way to this prize silver medal. She said later she could even see the medal in her mind and for some inexplicable reason, she turned right on a downhill slope while everybody else went left. And by the time she realized her mistake and corrected her course, instead of finishing in second place, she finished in eighth place. No medal, but a lot of unwanted fame. You can hear the agony in her words when she explained what happened. I want you to listen to this. She said, I don't know. I really don't know. I took the wrong way. I made the wrong turn. As a matter of fact, I did it twice. And the second time, I wasn't even sure anymore. I had a blackout. I don't know why I took the wrong way. I don't know why I made the wrong turn. Now, I have some good news for her. The good news is her wrong turn only cost her a medal. But you make a wrong turn, it could cost you your marriage, it could cost you your relationship with your children, it could cost you your job, it could cost you your freedom, it could even cost you your life. And that's why we're in a series we started last week that we're calling Right Turn. Because last week we talked about how to make the right turn so that you can live right. Matter of fact, we said there are three areas you better make sure you turn the right turn in. You better live right, you better die right, you better be forever right. So last week, if you were here, we talked about how to live right. Today I wanna to talk about how you, to make, how you can make the right turn so you can die 
right. Now this turn is so important because there's two things that are true of every human being that ever comes into this world. We're all going to live, we're all going to die. Everybody has that in common. Black, white, rich, poor, liberal, conservative, Republican, Democrat, communist, you know, libertarian, doesn't matter. We're all going to live and we're all going to die. Now, I don't believe that you're ready to live until you're ready to die, but I also don't believe that you're ready to die until you're ready to live. Now, I'm gonna just kind of full disclosure, get my cards on the table. I am absolutely convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt, Jesus is the only one that can get you ready for both. The only one. He can get you ready to live and he can get you ready to die. See, physically, you only live once and you only die once. And I've just kind of figured out, since I'm only going to live once, since I only have one life to live, I want to live it right. And since I'm going to die, I want to die right. But how do you do that? Well, there was a man who wrote a book in the New Testament to a church in a place called Philippi. I've been to Philippi many, many times. And in this letter, he includes some words that I believe give us three things that we need to die right. If you brought a copy of God's Word and want to look on with me today, I'm in a book called Philippians. It's in the New Testament. It's actually not that far from the back of your Bible if you've uh, got a Bible. And we're in Philippians chapter 1. Now, let me tell you a little bit about this letter. Paul wrote several letters in the New Testament, and they're called prison letters. And the reason is because he wrote these letters while he was in prison. And Paul wrote this letter while he was incarcerated in a Roman prison. Now, let me tell you why that's important. As you study this passage, as we listen to what Paul wrote, I want you to keep in mind that when Paul is literally writing this letter to the church, he does not know what's going to happen to him. He doesn't know if he's going to be executed. He doesn't know if he's going to have to spend the rest of his life there. He doesn't know if he's going to be set free. And that's why he writes these words in verse 19. He said, I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me that is being thrown in prison will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but I will have sufficient courage so that, now this was his big desire, that as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Now here's what Paul was saying. He's writing this letter to these people. He said, look, I really don't know whether I'm going to live or die. I don't know. I may be dead tomorrow. I have no idea. But what matters most to me, now listen to what he said. What matters most to me is not whether I live or whether I die. What matters to me the most is how I live and how I die. And then he goes on to share with us three things we must have if we're going to die right. Paul said, I want to live right. I want to die right. Now, he's already written them earlier uh, about how to live right. Now he tells us how to die right. So if you're here today and you would say, hey, I want to die right. I want to make sure when I die, I die right because I don't know when I'm going to die, where I'm going to die, how I'm going to die, how old I'm going to be. But when that time comes, I want to make sure I die right. Well, Paul said there are three simple things you need to have to die right, okay? Number one, I must have the right view of life. Before I'm ready to die right, I've got to have the right view of life. I'm going to say this again. If you want to die right, you've got to live right. You can't live wrong and die right. You want to live right or die right, you've got to live right. Now, if you want to live right, 
You've got to have the right view of life. You say, well, what do you mean? We all have a view of life. Let me tell you what Paul said. This was his view. Paul said, for to me, this he said, this is me, may not be true for you, but for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, Paul did something everybody can do, and in fact, we're gonna do it right now for just a moment. Paul examined his life. He put his life under a microscope and he really asked himself a hard question. He said, you know, if I were to boil my life down to one word, to the thing that's most important to me, the thing that really my life revolves around, what would that word be? And if all of us are honest, if everybody on this planet really got honest, everybody could summarize their life basically in one word. Let me give you an example. Some people, if they're honest, would say, my life, is money. Everything revolves around money. Deep down, I, I, can, I can kind of fake it with other people, but God knows my heart. The most important thing to me is money. Other people would say, my life is sex. My life revolves around sex. I want to find how many multiple sex partners I can have, and I want to grab all the sexual gusto I can. can. I can. Some would say, my life is drugs. Some, way, some would say, my life is fame. Some would say my life is popularity. Some would say my life is sports. Some would say my life is family. Paul said, my life is Christ. He said, the center of my life is Christ. The obsession of my life is Christ. The foundation of my life is Christ. The love of my life is Christ. Let me just stop. That makes perfect sense if you are truly a follower of Jesus. Let me tell you why. If the gospel is true, if the gospel is true, if it really is true that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on a cross, came back from the dead, and is King of kings and Lord of lords, if that's true, then there are no, there are no alternatives to Christ. There's no other way for your life to be lived. There's no other thing for your life to revolve around except Christ, as a matter of fact, I want, to do, I, want, I want to do something for you. I want you to think about your life right now. And I want you to think about Jesus right now. So this is your life and this is Jesus. Now, I want you to put your life and, your, and, and Jesus next to each other. And I want to make two propositions to you, all right? Don't put the same one up till I tell you. Jesus alone is worthy of your life. I, I, I'm saying that to you. Jesus alone is worthy of your life. You're, you're better than money. You're better than sex. You're better than fame. You're better than popularity. Popularity. You're better even than family. Jesus alone is worthy of your life. Here's a second proposition. Your life is too valuable to give it to anything but Jesus. Your life is too valuable to give it to anything but Jesus. When I was preparing this message a few weeks ago, I got to thinking about absolutely one of the most unbelievably passionate, on fire, greatest Christians I've ever met in my life. Many of you have heard of him. If you haven't, you ought to go look him up. In fact, I, 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 last night, I was thinking about this message. I went to YouTube and just started pulling up some of the greatest plays he ever had. His name was Pistol Pete Maravich. How many of you ever heard of Pistol Pete Maravich? A lot of you, okay. Absolutely one of the greatest Christians I ever met. Let me tell you how I got to meet Pete. I was pastoring, this is back in the 1980s, I was pastoring a church in Mississippi. <clears throat> and we decided to put on what we call a starlight crusade. So <clears throat> we, we, we had it in a football stadium every night. 
had a big, massive choir, and kind of like a mini Billy Graham crusade, if you will. So we rented the high school football stadium. We were bringing in all these famous people to kind of draw the crowds. And then I get up and preach the gospel. It was unbelievable. We saw hundreds of people say we did it two summers in a row. Well, one of the people that we brought up was Pistol Pete Maravich. And Pete lived in Louisiana. And, and I couldn't believe we offered to fly him up. He just got in his car and drove up and, and, uh, to, to Mississippi to give his testimony. He got there about two hours early. He called me, he said, hey, pastor, I'm here. He was at a restaurant there in Laurel. And so he said, come over, we'll have dinner together. So I drove over and, and uh, we uh, you know, spent two hours, two of the greatest hours I've ever spent in my life with anybody. I spent there with my, with my hero, the greatest offensive player I guess I've ever seen, Pistol Pete Maravich. Now I'm ashamed to tell you this, but I'm just gonna be honest and tell you the truth. You know what I wanted to talk about for two hours? Somebody, what do you think I want to talk about? Basketball. You know what Pete wanted to talk about? Jesus. I tried to get him to talk about basketball, and he'd move it back to Jesus. He played with the Boston Celtics, played with Larry Bird. I started asking questions about Larry Bird. He wanted to talk about Jesus. He averaged 44 points a game for three years. That record will never be broken. I wanted to ask him about how he did that. He wanted to talk about Jesus. I want to talk about how he introduced the behind the back, between the legs, and all these other great things he did. And all he wanted to talk about was Jesus. And I will never forget Pete getting up in that football stadium that night. And, and, and uh, before he did, he was looking, you know, we, we kept talking. He finally kind of got tickled because I want to talk about basketball and he won't talk about Jesus. Here's what he said. He said, Pastor, let me make something plain. He said, for most of my life, from the time I was a little boy, my life was basketball. You need to understand today, my life is Christ. I think I got saved all over again sitting right there in, 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 that, in that restaurant. Well, he gets up that night in the stadium and he gives his testimony. I want you to listen to what he said. He said, for many years, basketball gave me fame, fortune, notoriety, popularity, and pleasure. But it wasn't until I met Jesus that I found life. He said, Christ is my life. And I've said this to you before. This is what so many people misunderstand about Christianity. It's so frustrating to me. People want to, they kind of, kind of want to lock Christianity in with all these other religions, okay? I'm going to say something, and I want you to repeat it after me, okay? Christianity is not a religion. Ready? I want you to say that with me. Ready? Christianity is not a religion. Buddhism's a religion. Islam's a religion. Judaism is a religion. Hinduism is a religion. Christianity is not a religion. It's not something that you live at church. It's not a certain way you dress or a certain look that you have. If you say, okay, well, if Christianity is not a religion, what is it? Are you ready? Christianity is Jesus. Christianity is Jesus. You can take Buddha out of Buddhism. You'll still have Buddhism. You can take Muhammad out of Islam. You still have Islam. You can take Confucius out of Confucianism and you will still have Confucianism. As a matter of fact, you will still be confused. But if you take Christ out of Christianity, you have nothing. Christianity is Christ. Now, can I tell you, if you don't mind me being so bold, may I tell you the single most important thing that ought to be true about your life if you have the right view of life. In fact, I'm gonna kind of help you right now. You may be sitting there and you saying, well, Man, I don't know if I have the right view of life or not. Oh, I'm going to help you with that, okay? If you have the right view of life, you'll understand what the single most important thing is about your life, and this is what it is. 
It is whether or not the people that you're closest to, the people that you come in contact with, your spouse, your children, your family, your colleagues, your workmates, your teammates, your next door neighbors, the most important thing about you, if you have the right view of life, is this. Do they see Jesus in the way you live your life? Do they see Jesus in the way that you live your life? When Henry IV was the king of France, uh, some of his servants and courtiers were complimenting him on how vigorous he was as he was growing older. And, and they were complimenting him and, and they said, you know, sire, you might live to be 80 years of age. I want you to listen to what he said. He said, the number of our, day, of our days is reckoned and I've often prayed to God for grace, but never for a long life. Now listen to this. A man who has lived well has always lived long enough, however early he may die. A man who has lived well has always lived long enough, however early he may die. If you want to die right, you've got to live right. And to live right, you've got to have the right view of life. And there's only one view of life that is right. And that is if you can say, for to me, to live is Christ. So first of all, I've got to have the right view of life. Then number two, I must have the right version of death. I've got to have the right version of death. Now, I want you to listen to the second part of this verse, okay? Paul says, for to me, to live is Christ. But then he says something that not everybody buys. And to die is gain. Now, that word for gain, it literally means profitable. It means beneficial. Now, let's be honest. Normally, we would say the only people that believe that death is profitable are people who run funeral homes, right? We'd say, okay, I, you know, I, I kind of get that because I'll be honest. I think the last thing hardly any of us ever think about when we think about dying and we think about death is it's something that's profitable, <coughs> beneficial, and good, and good for us. But that's exactly what Paul said. He said, if Christ is your life, your death is gain. If Christ is your life, your death is gain. Now, let me just stop right here. I know that's a hard sell. And I don't mean it's a hard sell for people that don't believe. Let's be honest. It's a hard sell for people who do believe. I don't believe mean it's just a hard sell for people who are not followers of Jesus. Let's be honest. That's a hard sell for people who are followers of Jesus. Because if I were to ask you this question, and I don't want you to raise your hand, but if I were to say to you, if, if, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, if I were to say to you, do you believe that when you die, you're going to heaven? You'd raise your hand. And if I were to say to you, do you believe that heaven is a wonderful place? You'd raise your hand. If I were to ask you, do you believe that heaven is better than any other place you could ever be? You would raise your hand. But then if I were to ask you, and how many of you are doing everything you can to keep from going there, we'd all raise our hand. Man, I'll work out. That's okay. And I watch what I eat. I'm trying to extend my life as long as I can. Joe Lewis, the famous boxer, put it best. He said, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. And yet Paul comes along and says, uh, I do. I'm ready. To die is gain. As a matter of fact, in case you don't believe that he believed what he just said, 
I want you to listen to something he said that if he, if he hadn't said it, I wouldn't have believed it. Here's what he said in verse 23. Now listen to this. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. I'm really torn. He said, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. His attitude about life and death, if we're being honest today, his attitude about life and death was 180 degrees different than our attitude toward life and death. Because here's what we would all say, and we've, I've heard people say this. Here's what we would all say if we were honest. You ready? We would all say, well, well I'm willing to go to heaven. But I want to stay. I mean, I, I really am. I'm willing to go, but, you know, as long as I'm healthy, I want to enjoy family. I want to enjoy friends. I want to enjoy life. I don't mind telling you. I know it's a selfish prayer, but I say, oh, God, please let me live till Georgia wins one more national championship, just one. We all have that, Lord, not until this. Lord, let me see my grandchildren grow up. Lord, let me see my grandson get married. Lord, let me see my grandson graduate from college. Let me see this. Let me see that. I, I'm willing to go, but I want to stay. Paul said, I'm willing to stay, but I want to go. <laughs> now, why would Paul say that? I mean, let's, I mean, really, that sounds a little bit nutsy to me. I mean, seriously, I'm just, I'm just, you know, why was his attitude so different from ours? Well, you remember what he said? He said, I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. And when you look at that word depart, what he says begins to make a whole lot of sense. Let me tell you why. That word, depart, is one of the richest words in all of the New Testament. It has several meanings. First of all, it, it, was, um, it literally means to untie something or to free something. And you could, it was used in several different ways. For example, it was a nautical term. It, it, it was used by sailors when, when they would unloose a ship so a ship could set sail, which is good for a ship because a ship's not built to sit in a harbor. A ship is built to sail. Let me tell you this. We weren't built for this earth. We were built for another place. And when we die, guess what? We set sail for where we're supposed to be. And then it was a military term. It was used when an army would pull up the stakes of a tent so they could go home. You know, when a soldier goes overseas or he goes to battle, we call it being what? being deployed, right? We call it being deployed. Well, when a tour of duty is over, that soldier says, I am going what? I'm going home, right? Listen, right now we're all deployed on this earth for a tour of duty. And every day we fight all these battles of life. But death is when we pull up the stakes of the tent and we go where? We go home. It's a, it, it's a, it's a depart. By the way, it was a judicial term. It was, refused to, it was used to refer to the freeing of a prisoner from a jail. Now, in one sense, we're all in prison here. There's a, there's a man that I know right now used to go to our church. He's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful believer. Great, great, sweet man. He has Lou Gehrig's disease. He literally, his body literally has become a prison. And every day he's losing more and more and more motor function. 
We're all imprisoned in a body that is decaying and breaking down. We're imprisoned in a world that is full of sorrow and death and fears and tears. But when we die, we're set free from all that. We're no longer chained to disease and death and discouragement and disappointment anymore. And then it's an agricultural term. It was used to describe how the yoke would be taken off the oxen at the end of the day so the oxen could go rest from the work that they've been doing all day long. Let's face it, from the time you're born to to the time you die, life is always filled with work. You're making a living, you're raising a family, you're keeping a marriage, you're doing a job, you're handling problems, you're dealing with heartache, but then we die and we go to rest. Which is why we say to people, rest in peace. And I believe that when Paul looked at that term and he thought, wow, you know what? I'm ready to set sail and go home. I'm ready to pull up my tent and quit fighting. I'm willing to be set free from this prison that I live in of disease and heartache and death and disappointment. And boy, I am ready to lay down all the work I've been doing. I am ready to rest. There was a great Christian leader. You have never heard of him. It doesn't matter. His name was Dr. George Sweeting. That's not important. But Dr. Sweeting tells the story of how he was going to comfort a friend who was dying. His, his wife was dying of cancer. And so he decided he'd go visit. He kind of dreaded it because he, you know, he didn't know what he would walk in. You never do when somebody's dying of cancer. You know how it's going to be. And you, it's one of those, if you're like me, you know, you kind of just want to get in, get out as quick as you can because it's just a downer. But he knew he had to go make the visit. So he went to this man's home and, and, and he walked in the door and he said he couldn't believe it. He said he walked into her bedroom. She was bedridden. He said his friend and his wife, he said they were at perfect peace about her impending death. He said they were, they were kind of laughing and talking and joking and you know, commiserating about old times and sweet memories. Dr. Sweeting said, I, I just couldn't understand it. And he said, finally I looked at him. He said, I'll just be honest with you. He said, I, I just don't get it. I, I'm sorry, I, I'm a believer, but I just don't understand how you guys are acting like this. And that husband looked at him and he said, well, George, let me ask you a question. His wife's name was, George's wife's name was Bev. And he said, if Bev was going to Hawaii, would you be happy for her? And Dr. Sweeting said, well, of course I would. Sure. And the man looked at him and he said, well, George, heaven is a lot better than Hawaii. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Paul said, I have the right view of life to live as Christ. Paul said, I've got the right version of death. It's not a loss, it's a gain. It's not a minus, it's a plus. It's not bad, it's good. Now watch this. When you have the right view of life and you have the right version of death, then you will have, you must have the right vision of life and death. Now, it's only when we have the right view of life and the right version of death that we have the right vision of life and death. Now, here's the question. What is that vision? And I want to ask you that question right now. Do do you really have the right vision of life and death? Not just life and not just death. I'm asking you this question. Do you really have the right vision of life and death? You say, well, I don't know. How do you know if you do or not? Well, according to what Paul said, here's how you'll know it. 
you will know that you've captured that vision when you're really conflicted. There will be times in your life that this battle will go on and you really are trying to decide, what should I do? What should my desire be? Because I want to go back to that statement Paul makes one more time. When Paul thinks about living and Paul thinks about dying, listen to what he says again now. He says, I am torn. And he meant that. He said, man, I'm in a battle. I'm really torn. I mean, I, I'm, really, I'm, I, I'm wringing my hands. I, I, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Paul said, there's this battle going on in my heart. It's between my desire and my duty. My desire, I'm ready to check out today. My desire is to go be with Jesus now. But he said, I also know I have a duty to stay and work for Jesus. So again, here's what he's saying. I'm willing to stay here, but I want to go there. Where again, what we say is, well, I'm willing to go there, but I want to stay here. Now, here's what's important. Just hang on. The reason why we want to stay here for the most part, if we're just honest, it's selfish. Well, I want to stay here so I can enjoy the fruits of my labor. I finally get to kick up my feet and watch TV and go to the beach and do this and do that and retire. All right, well, I want to stay here because I want to see my grandchildren get married. I want to see my grandchildren go to college or I want to finally pay off my house or I want to do this or I want to do that. Paul said, you know why I'm willing to stay? It's not so I can retire, do what I want to do, put my feet up on the couch and watch TV, go to the mall, travel the world and see all the sights. Let me just stop right there. There's nothing wrong with any of that. Some of you people are probably retired and you're getting to do some of the things you want to do. God bless you. He's given you the ability to do it. Do it. You like to travel? Go travel. You got a place at the beach? Go stay. You know, you like to just go hang out or play golf? I'm not criticizing that at all. But for Paul, that's not why he was willing to stay. For Paul, he was willing to stay for this reason. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me, yet what shall I choose? I do not know. See, the average person, if they're honest, if you were to say to them, you want to live a long time? I really do. Why do you want to live a long time? So I can retire, do what I want to do, go where I want to go, get up when I want to get up, go to bed when I want to go to bed, eat what I want to eat, Watch what I want to watch. Listen to what I want to listen to and do what I want to do. You know what Paul said? You know why if God's, you know why if it's okay for me to live a long time? Not so I can retire. I want to re-enlist. I always want to be working for the Lord. I always want to have a productive life. Listen, whether you are young or whether you are old, I'm about, listen, I'm about to meddle in your business. I'm just going to buckle your seat, okay? I'm about to meddle, but save your emails and your letters. I'm going to meddle anyway. Those who've been around me a long time know I'm not afraid to meddle, okay? So I'm going to meddle in your business for just a moment, but I'm going to do it in a very biblical way. You should never finish living until your work for God is finished, and God is never finished with you until your work for Him is finished. You should never finish living until your work for God is finished. And God is never finished with you until your work for him is finished. And you know what? 
your work for him is never finished until he's finished with you. In other words, you may retire from your work. You never retire from God's work. You may retire from your work. You never retire from God's work. There was a philosopher by the name of Horace Callan, and he put it perfectly when he said this. I want you to listen. These are so great words. He said, there are those who guide their lives by the fear of death. There are those who guide their lives by the joy of life. The former live dying, the latter, not later, the latter die living. When I die, I intend to die living. I intend to die living. That's how I want to die. I want to die living. I, you know, I, I began to started to think about kind of fast forward. And so I, I thought about, okay, so what if I live long enough to kind of curl up my toes and die? You know, we all, we all kind of have that picture, okay? Here's how it's going to be when I die. You know, I'm going to be lying on my bed and all the kids will be around and all the grandkids will be around and kind of got that, you know, that idyllic scene. And, and I've often thought about that. And, and I've often thought, well, you know, what would I say? What, what am I going to say to my wife? Well, what am I going to say to my kids? What am I going to say to my grandkids. And what I want, I made up, you know, one of the things I want to make sure that I say to them is, I know it's hard to tell you not to grieve for me, and I'm sure there'll be some tears. Jesus wept it at a funeral, so I get that. But don't grieve long, and don't grieve hard. Because I promise you, the second I draw my last breath, I will be happier and healthier and holier than you ever dreamed about being I don't care how many national championships the dogs win. It doesn't matter. Don't cry for me. Don't weep for me. And see, this is how we all ought to die. We ought to die living. And you say, okay, pastor, can you explain what that means? I'll let Paul do it. Here's what Paul meant by dying living. Listen to this. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but I will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. That word exalted, you know what that word literally means in the Greek language? It means to be magnified. He said, here's what's important to me. Whether I live or whether I die, it's not how long I live. It's not, it's not how long, that I, it's not how long I, I can put death off. That doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is as long as I live and when I die, I want Christ to be magnified in me. Because the, point, the most important thing about your life is not how much money you make, how many ladders you climb, how many positions you hold, how much fame that you gather, or how many skills that you master. What really matters, the really most important thing about your life is who do you magnify? Who do you make Bigger. The way that we live and the way that we die should magnify Jesus. Now, let me stop right there. You may say, wait a minute. I thought you said Jesus is King of Kings. I did. I thought you said Jesus is Lord of Lords. He is. I thought you said He's the Son of God. Absolutely. Well, then tell me. I don't understand. Does He need to be magnified? Yeah, let me tell you why. You go out tonight. If the skies clear up, they're supposed to. So, you know, as soon as we get out of church, it'll clear up. 
But he said, you know, you, you go out tonight and, and just look up in the skies and you'll see the stars. Now, you and I both know something. Those stars are a lot bigger than what we see with the naked eye. But you go to a Hubble telescope and all of a sudden, you'll see that telescope magnify those stars and you begin to appreciate how big and how bright they really are. And what Paul was saying was this, in my body, I want my body in life and I want my body in death to be a telescope that brings people closer to Jesus. As a matter of fact, there's not a better way to live life every day than to ask this question, am I magnifying Jesus in my life? Am I magnifying Jesus in my life. Now you may, I'm gonna answer a question because every time I make a statement like that, I know what I'd be asking. Well, how do you do that? How do you magnify Jesus in your life? You know, how do I know if I am or not? Well, let me just kind of suggest some ways. With our lips, we can magnify Jesus by the words that we say. With our hands, we can magnify Jesus by the deeds that we do. With our feet, we can magnify Jesus by the places that we go. With our heart, we can magnify Jesus by the love that we share. And Paul said, whether we live or whether we die, we ought to magnify Jesus. Let me tell you something. We ought to live in such a way. Now listen to what I'm about to tell you. We ought to live in such a way that people would see Jesus in us when we're living. And when we die, we ought to die in such a way that people would remember Jesus about us. I can think of nothing better I would love for me than when people hear the name James Merritt, they would think about Jesus. And I'd love nothing better the, the when I leave this earth then years and years after I'm gone, you know, I've often thought a lot about this a lot. You know, if, if the Lord tarries and I die, there will be times, there will be people who will say to one of my grandchildren, Merritt, you any kin to James Merritt, the preacher? Yes, sir, he was my dad. Yes, ma'am, he was my grandfather. And what I want them to think about is just one word, Jesus. Boy, your grandfather, he loved Jesus. Boy, your dad, he preached Jesus. When I, as long as I live, I want people to see Jesus in me. When I die, I want people to Jesus, people remember Jesus about me. You know, in some tribes in Africa, Christians over there pray that they will have a good death. And, and they don't mean by that they hope they'll die without any pain or suffering. Here's what they mean. When a Christian in Africa dies and they want to have a good death, they want to, what they're saying is, regardless of how I die, I want God to be glorified I want Jesus to be magnified and I want faith to be multiplied. They said, if that's true, I will die a good death. Now, here's what I love. Paul said, if I live, I'm gonna live for Jesus. If I die, I'm gonna live with Jesus. Adrian Rogers, my mentor, he preached a message on this passage. I love the, you know what the title of his message was? One of the best, I wish I could, I wish I thought of it first. You know what the title of his message was? Heads I win, tails I win. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Heads I win, tails I win. If I live, I'm gonna live for Jesus. If I die, I'm going to live with Jesus. Whether I live or whether I die, my life 
is Jesus. Now, this may make you uncomfortable, but we're going to get real personal. I want you to apply this to your life, to yourself right now, okay? I want you to, and listen, I know you've heard me preach, but try to put this out of your mind for a minute. Just be honest. Just be honest. You're walking down the street of Atlanta, and you turn the corner, and somebody's got a pen or a pad or something. They're taking a survey. Excuse me, sir. Would you fill in this blank? For to me to live is blank. What's the first thing that'd come to your mind if you were honest? Because some of you would say, for me to live is money. And some would say, well, for me to live is work. Some would say, for me to live is health. Some would say, for me to live is power. Some would say, for me to live is family. For me to live is marriage. For me to live is sports. Here's what I want to tell you. If you put anything in that blank except Jesus, when you die, you lose. If you put anything in that blank except Jesus, when you die, you lose. I'll tell you why. If you live for money, when you die, you're going to leave it all behind. If you live for fame, when you die, you'll be forgotten. If you live for power, when you die, you're going to lose it all. Hey, if you live for family, unless you and your family know Jesus, either you will never see them again or you will wish you didn't. Paul said, for me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. There are three things you better get right, and you only have one chance to do it. You better get your life right. You better get your death right, and you better get forever right. And here's the good news. Once you truly let Jesus in, you get all three things right.